What are you, mob? It's Talia here, and I'm with my brother boy Chris. Episode three of Mob Talk. Today we have Lionel Louch from Living Culture on the podcast to talk with us. We're both pretty excited about this because Lionel does a range of things. Well, he's an expert in a range of things, including bush medicine, native plants, ditch healing, and really, he's just a great fellow to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Talia. Um, thanks for joining us again, listeners. Before we get started today, I'd just like to acknowledge the grounds that we gather across today. We're currently on Bunurong land, and I'd like to acknowledge whichever country that you're currently standing on or listening from. I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, present, and future emerging leaders. And I'd like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Welcome to Mob Talk with Talia and Chris. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Mob Talk. It's Talia and... Chris over here. Yep, proud of Runter Woman and... And I'm a power man. We are joined by Lionel Louch today. Lionel is the face of Living Culture. Living Culture works on bringing back culture, empowering, educating and engaging all mobs. Lionel, it's great to have you on the potty. Thanks for having me in. We just want to start by if you could tell us a bit about yourself and your journey. My name's Lionel. I'm a Gundi Jamara Kreirong Bunjalung man. My life sort of started probably in Colton, the hospital there. I was born up there at the hospital. A lot of my family was born there. First few years of my life were spent around Collingwood Commission Flats and around St Kilda, around Melbourne. After that, I got moved around for quite a few years and then um, settled down here in the Mornington Peninsula with a beautiful foster family down here and with two of my other sisters. And so I've been down here ever since, since 76, I came down here, the Mornington Peninsula. I've been down here with my other two sisters growing up in a foster family. It's been really cool. So beautiful, you know, beautiful family, looked after us for that, good house and everything. A journey started so probably culture. I've been learning a lot of culture since I was a kid. I was lucky enough to my, my mum used to visit me a lot. Um, her uncle Archie, um, my great uncle Stan, they used to come and visit me a lot. My great uncle Stan's a full blood tribal Bunjalung man, and he actually used to come down and um, teach me. A, he taught me about the boomerang throwing, taught me the boomerangs, the woomeras, how to make all that sort of stuff. So I was lucky enough to have him um, come down a lot. So he just rock up on our doorstep some days and he'd stay for a week. It was an amazing oh, man to grow up with. So that's where my sort of my knowledge sort of started back then. And ever since then, I've been hungry for knowledge growing up. I was worried that our culture was going to die, especially here in Victoria. We've lost so much already. So um, being an annoying little kid that I was, or young bloke, questions. I asked millions and millions of questions. Every time I see an elder anywhere, I just ask questions. And when elders talk, I listened. I really listened you know, deeply to what they say. So that's how I probably learned everything. I've never studied for anything. You know? The only time I've studied when I did that diploma with my cousin. Yeah, but generally I'm, I'm just learning by... Um, off other people word of mouth I've, I've read a few good books lately there's some there are some amazing books out there there's also a lot of crap books out there there's a lot of books out there with a lot of wrong information and knowledge in them i don't know how they got published but there is um but there are some amazing books out there yeah that's my hesitation i guess to reading books about our culture as i always have in the back of my head is yeah. this true you know is it because it's written by a white fella or if it's not you just never yeah. know because every Aboriginal person's truth is different as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 It was like, um, I don't know if he's read, um, read um, uh, Bruce Pascoe's book. Bruce, he brought out an amazing book called Dark Emu. I've had it for two years. I still haven't read it. <laughs> I've got two of his books now. I will read it. I actually know most of the stuff in the book. He was just amazing. He put all that information together in a book. And there's a section in that book where um, the Yarra River, is um, one of his settlers are riding along on his horse on the Yarra River. He comes across two Aboriginal men on the banks um, fishing, sitting down fishing. They've constructed this amazing trap where the bloke only has to put his hand on his thing and he pulls it out and the fish pop out in the bank. And that's all he does. He sit there, pushes it down, the fish pop out in the bank. This European man rode past on the horse and he wrote in his journal 
You cannot believe how lazy Aboriginal people are. They make no effort whatsoever to catch their food in that. No mention whatsoever wow. of the amazing technology that we had to no, use no energy to catch these fish. No mention mm. of that, just how lazy we were. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so there's a, a lot of stuff out there that's going to be you know, written a lot, and a true. Lot of, a lot of stereotypes that need to be broken down. Yeah, well, it's even it's still it's a, the way a lot of people look at things and see, they only see what they want to see. Yeah. Now, what I do is open people's eyes up. Yeah. yeah, so when people, I take people bushwalking. Everyone's got tunnel vision. You know, I, I, I did a walk. I remember I had a young group, school group one day, and I was getting bush rangers bay, getting ready for them to do a bushwalk. And this old group walked past me, and I'm talking I'm about 15. They're all in the 80s and 90s, all these walkers. And um, they come up to me and said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I, I do bushwalks and tours. And I said, oh, yeah, let's grab the card. They booked me for a walk. I took them for a walk, and they could not believe. They've been walking in the Mornington Peninsula for 40-plus years. They all come from Melbourne, and they could not believe that they've been walking through the bush with no tunnel vision. I opened their eyes up to everything, and it was just they were amazed, mm-hmm. absolutely amazed. So they've just been walking along Bunurong land, having no idea about any of Ex- have any, no idea. No, 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 no idea about the country, no, really. well, People look at the bush and it's beauty, but they only see the surface. And I teach them to look into it, you right. know, the bark, the leaves, the soils, you know, everything. Yeah, what insects are in the trees and all this. There's so much to learn. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I see on your shirt right there. It says educate, empower, educate, engage, and that's kind of what you're saying right there about yes, le- learning land, not being tunnel vision, seeing, 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 seeing your surroundings and understanding what what you're capable of exactly. with, with what's around you. And it kind of sounds like that's what you've been able to um, sort of definitely open people's eyes up and get them educate them. And with education, we become power. Mm-hmm. Definitely. definitely. Yeah. Oh. Um. I guess you're taking it back to, well, you are taking it back to traditional ab- Aboriginal ways, yep. sitting out on country and just listening, yes. looking at the trees, what the trees are telling you, what the ground's telling you, what the ants are telling you, exactly, you know, yeah. how, what season's coming next, what yes. weather is it going to be? Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, so seasons, well, nature tells us everything, you know, look, the flowers, um, look, a lot of people down here think we have four seasons, we don't, we have six seasons, you know, and um, the seasons are changing. I study plants so I know the seasons are changing big time I'm trying to bring a book out and my book's all out of whack everything I grew up and learnt it's out of whack now by a month month and a half maybe more some plants so I've got to shuffle my book around a bit with the dates and stuff but um, when I take it in the books I was talking to my son for a walk not long ago oh, actually it was the start of the year last Christmas we're up at up Wonga off the seat we're just talking about um, nature I teach my son everything he's probably the next behind me who knows all this stuff an ant walked past carrying a white pebble and I, was, I told him about the, um, the ant. I said, oh, tell me what that ant's telling us. He goes, I don't know, it's just carrying a white pebble, Dad. I said, no, that ant's telling us something. Can you understand what it's telling us? He goes, no, I don't know. I said, see that ant, it's carrying that white pebble, it's going to put it around its hole. You see, you walk around in summertime, you see all these white ant holes covered in white pebbles. They put the white pebbles there, because that tells me within two to three days, hot weather's coming, really hot weather. And I want the sun, when the hot weather comes, the sun beats down on the ground, it cooks the ground, and um, if it's black ground, it's going to cook the ants inside the hole. So they put the white pebbles there to reflect the heat and the sunlight away from the hole so the hole doesn't cook. And I said to him, if that ant was carrying a black pebble, what does that tell you? And I know, Dad. I said, that tells me there's cold weather coming. Mm. It's going to mm. warm the hole. It's going to absorb what heat there is in there. If the ants build their nest up high, what does that tell me? There's big rains coming. You know, so we can learn a lot from nature. It tells us, like, um, the seasons here, like our, our first pre-spring started in middle of July. We have two springs. We have pre-spring and high spring we're in now. But um, people don't realise that our wattle started flowering in mid-July. So that's when our first spring, pre-spring is. And then it mm-hmm. goes right through. You know, the season's in the summer, pre-summer, then high summer. Thing, like I said, things are changing with, yep. the, with the things. But we've learned so much. Like down here, I've studied enough down here to say that I know exactly when it's perfectly high summer. The ibis tell me, and some of the flowering plants like you see now, but the, the ibis, the straw neck ibis and the common ibis come from the west. You'll see lots of them coming from west. You know two weeks after that it's going to be high summer. 
I've watched it for years. No, I wasn't taught that. That's just by me acknowledging nature. Mm-hmm. These incredible intricacy details that you have around, you know, the ants and, yeah. and, and, and what happens on these countries, where's that knowledge come from? Obviously, it's been yeah. passed down generation to generation. To generation. Who's, elders. Taught, who's taught you that? Listening to elders, um, I can't say names because I'm no good yep. with that. The face is no problem. But um, <laughs> I just try to listen to elders. Whenever elders speak, you know, I just... Boom, and then you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pick a lot of things. They're not mainstream things, but I'll just look at things. I'll see something on an elder. I'll listen, you know, and just listen, listen, listen as much mm-hmm. as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm older than Talia and a bit more mature. Um, <laughs> oh, well, some would argue but, that point. But um, one thing that I definitely I pick up from Talia is how much she speaks about her, gra- her, her grandma, her country, and elders, and that respect, and just just constantly listening, learning, yep. and that's that's I, I get that from her. She's she's you know I look up to her and learn a lot for her in that from her in that way. So kind yep. of hearing you just kind of reiterating that same message that yep. our elders the respect that we have exactly respect. It's all respect and listening. Definitely, that's how that's how our people learn. We sat in nature for endless hours just listening, to, listening to nature, listening to everything. You know, that's how we learned a lot of stuff just mm-hmm. by listening. I can agree. I actually just had a conversation with my grandmother the other day about connection to country and I was actually talking about you. She used to live here and um, she said she wished she knew you were here because she would have wanted to go on a walk with you. She always thinks when she goes to different places, the land talks to her. She always feels like the country is talking to her. Yeah, she is. And it's awesome to see that, that you have that as well because it kind of shows what, aboriginal people are all about it's that connection to country and some people don't understand why we want that acknowledgement and recognition for our land why is it so important for us to have our land back or just to acknowledge it is because aboriginal people have a deep connection to our land and that yeah we come from it yeah everybody talks about nature you know nature's out there a beautiful nature you know we're part of the Fauna and Flora. I know we're yep. taken off the Fauna and Flora yep. Act in 67, but we shouldn't have been. Yep. We are a part of the Fauna and Flora. Everybody's a part of the Fauna and Flora. You know, we, we, we go to nature. So um, when Aboriginal people traditionally, when we go hunting, like I see a lot of things on today, even with the tribal stuff, and it's not traditional, and the way they treat the animals. We treat all animals with respect. That's why we, when we spear an animal, we actually kill the animal straight away. We all said a prayer for the animal. We thank the animal for its body, for its fur, for its feathers, for its teeth, for its bones. Same as the women. They ask Mother Nature for permission in the morning when they get up. And when we pick from the trees, we say thank you. Because we're not above nature, you know. It's like a, it's a special plant out there that's called um, Longleaf Lamandra. You might know that. Spock here at Matt Rush. Amazing plant. I, I harvest that a lot because I feed it to a lot of people. And we use it for farm. The girls use it for fibre and stuff, for bread making, for medicine. And I'd pull out those leaves out to give everybody a sample, a taste of the, the, the bottom of the leaf. It's like um, exactly the same as a snow pea. And I'll give everybody a taste. It's like a knife. We use a lot of grasses as knives. I used to pull that grass out. And sometimes I'd cut my hand. One day I did it real bad. Um, in the early days, I had 70 kids on my walk, plus all the teachers and parents that came along. So like 80 people, I'd have to pull out 80 of these to feed everybody. And I'd cut my hand one day real bad, blood everywhere. How much I look at my hand? Yeah, I'm trying to do a talk. I was talking to an elder, Annie B, and she goes, Lionel, we have to learn to respect plants. She goes, when you come up to the plant, ask permission, put your hand down, grab a big clump, give it a wriggle, and give it a little pull. If it comes the first time, it's a plant giving it to you. If it doesn't come the first time, it's a plant telling you to move on. You disrespect that plant and try to force it, you will get cut. So it's, plants all live in family groups. All plants do. They all live in family groups. And um, So if one plant doesn't give it to you, its brothers and sisters will give it to you straight away. You just go up to a plant, give it a try. If it comes straight away, it's giving it to you. So it's respect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're not above nature. It's the biggest thing. People think we're above nature. We're not. We're a part of nature. Mm-hmm. You know? Plants, mm-hmm. well, when we die, we feed the plants. Our body feeds the plants. 
and then the animals live off the plants. It's a cycle. What um what 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 percentage would you say you've be almost been living on country or, or out in land in the bush? I know I know I was watching a video of you recently where you were speaking about when you were younger you you just used to take off out in the bush and just play clapsticks, play instruments, oh, and yeah. just and you've reached a, a level of knowledge now to where you could probably do find something new every day, every you know for years I'm to do out there. When you first kind of went 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 into country, went into bush. To express yourself, to to, yeah. to 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 find your culture and identity. What sort of things will you know? You play the clapsticks and so. Where, where, where did where, how did all that start? Um, well, just been on the foster family because my foster family weren't into culture. They yeah. weren't into it at all. They hated my um, family coming down and seeing visiting us. But they were like, beautiful people. They just didn't you know weren't into Aboriginal culture. Yep. So as a young kid, I just did things on my own. And my uncle taught me. He come down and teach me a lot of stuff. So I'd go off into the bush by myself as a kid. And just perform my own corroborees, you know. I'd sit there with all the birds. My, my audience was a bunch of birds, you know. So that's how I started, just by doing clapsticks in the bush and doing, I'm not even speaking language, just chanting. Yeah. You know, I used to do a lot of that as a kid. Yeah, yeah people would have thought you were a madman, oh, eh? Definitely, yeah. Madman <laughs> yeah. yeah. talking to the birds. Yes, yeah. That's what I did. I've always been connected. I'd, I'd sit in the bush for hours as a kid and just, the birds would come right up to me. I'd just be dead quiet and just observe and knowledge, you know, everything. It was amazing. Yeah. Birds yeah. are talking to you. That's what happens. Yeah. The nature and the animals talk to you. Yeah. I want to ask a question. Yep. Now you say we should we shouldn't have been taken off the floor in Fauna Act. Yep. I can I can think of a, a lot of people or a couple Hot of topic. people who yeah. would disagree with this oh, and say yeah. you know growing up back in that day and age exactly we wanted to be be seen as human beings yeah. and we were less than well people yep. viewed Aboriginal yeah. people as less than. Why do you believe that it's so important that we shouldn't have been taken off? Well, it's not so much we shouldn't have been taken off. It's just the, the way people looked at things back then. You know, mm. A tree's a tree. It's just there to be cut down. You know, plants are just plants. Mm. We'd walk over top of them. No one cared. You know, that's why the, the big... With us, with the fauna and flora, we were, we were, it's our family. You know, the trees and the plants, we're all family. So mm. we're all connected. Um, I know what you're saying about that because I'm, I'm stolen generation, my family. Mm-hmm. Um, you heard of Archie Roach, you know? Yep, yep. My yep. family and that. Um, so... I know how bad that was and to be taken off it, you know, but when I've growing up and learning about the fauna and flora and all that sort of stuff, um, they're actually taking us um, away from that. We're actually big, like the rest of the Europeans, they've been away from um, nature, disconnected from nature for a long time. So they don't understand it. So that when, when they looked at other, other countries, other people living in the bush, they looked at it you know, as like savage or wild sort of thing, but we didn't, you know. It's all our brothers and sisters all around us. It's all, it's all home. It's all loving and warm and caring. But um, I don't know, um, Fauna and flora, yeah, I don't know. Um, Do you almost see it as like as sort, as sort of like a healing and reclaiming what is ours? Yes. You know, well, they're be- trying to put us above nature. You know, we're not above nature; we're equal. So that's what it sort of thing is. You know, we're, we're equal to everything. So it's not so much we taken off the fauna and flora act; it's just that we are part of the fauna and flora. Right. We are, no matter what you say. Yeah, yeah. Bringing back culture. How would you advise our young people or non, non-Aboriginal people to acknowledge and, and further learn about our culture? Um, for, well, I, a big part, half my work now is schools um, in Southern Victoria. I do hundreds of schools and kinders and universities. There's a lot, a lot of school programs now getting right into culture, teaching culture. So there's a lot of things out there you can look for. Obviously, you have teachers and history and stuff that will teach certain stuff. Some schools only teach a little sort of like um, tokenistic yeah. sort of stuff. Yep. If yep. you're going to get me in, let's do it properly. You know, I'll take you out, make fire. I will teach you to spear throw. Yep. Here's a woman. I teach you mangrook. I teach you stone talk technology. Let's do it properly. 
traditional ways, not tokenistic. If you do this, you've learned about Aboriginal culture. Like take it back to our roots, what we're about, what we respect and what we, what we live for. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. How much do you see that you feel is tokenistic and genuine or do you see sometimes that they're wanting to be genuine, but it's coming across tokenistic? Oh, definitely. You get get, get it all. But um, there's a lot more, um, genuine now because I'm working with a lot of schools and the teachers are ringing us all the time we're actually having um, well, I don't know they're called PTs or something so we get like 100 teachers in who want to if we've got any teachers out there who've got problems with asking questions or teaching culture we sit down at a, at a table I'll answer as many questions as I can if I don't have the answer we point them in the right direction so there's a lot of teachers out there who are really scared of being um, offending us you know, they've got so much respect for us they don't want to teach the wrong culture and so yeah. I'm finding that's the biggest thing at the moment with education and teachers they're scared to do stuff because they don't want to do it wrong Yep. But we do get the handful out there, like I did a kinder long ago. They get me in to pay me all this money to do all these sessions with them. And then I find out when the kinder teachers, the ladies in there playing, did we do to the kids? The Yadaki. And I say, oh, no, that doesn't work. Bang, 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 bang. They've stopped that now because I, I did, I did, we did bring them up at a meeting. I, I, I do know the true history of the Yadaki, you know, and all the women's side of things and that. Even our people don't know a lot about that sort of stuff. So this, this yeah. teacher was just, just, was just playing the Yadaki yeah, like? Yeah, all, all the time. Yeah, all the time. Every day. I said, no, well, that's, and, and we had a meeting. I said, no, that's not right. No, she said, why? We'll talk about that at a different time. And I'll explain to you nicely. Yep. Exactly, it's not, it's not right. And she said, oh, women did play, you know, what's going on about Women played didgeridoos. Well, women did play the didgeridoos. And a lot of Aboriginals don't know that. If you're northern, um, upper Yongu, the Yongu were the traditional um, um, people of the Yadaki, West of Darwin, there's a couple of tribes out there that let the women play the didgeridoo, the Yadaki, but um, they were not allowed to play it in front of people. They had to go off in the bush on their own and play it. Now, a lot of our people don't know this. Women help make the didgeridoos. They help decorate them. They help cut them down. And you know, it's a, This has all been forgotten. I see a lot of fights over that. I mean, it is disrespectful. I mean, a lot of people aren't even allowed to play the didgeridoos. Even in your own tribe, you, you come from a tribe and we all play the Yadaki. Certain people play the Yadaki. Not everybody in that tribe is allowed to play the Yadaki. You have to be, you know... You have to be chosen to um, play it. So, but, but the big thing about women not playing it, there was a couple of tribes that women were allowed to play it, but yep. they weren't allowed to play it in public. Yep. Yeah. But with the Yongle and all them, no, definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. And those kind of Aboriginal politics can be really difficult to follow along from, from mob to mob, can't yeah. they? And it's, well, yeah. It's not our fault. It's just um, we just feel, a lot of our knowledge has been taken away. Right. Yeah. You know, so we've got to try and bring that knowledge back so we can actually educate everybody and then you know, talk about it properly and deal with it properly. You talk about... Victorians knowledge a lot of our knowledge being lost yep. due to colonization and yep. whatnot it's really awesome to see someone like you bringing that back and just the Victorian population um, as such bringing it yeah. back and trying to bring and implement traditional ways mm. um, in Aboriginal culture we talk a lot about respect yep. and a lot of the stuff that we deal with our young people is loss of respect and lack of respect towards mums dads, aunties, yeah. uncles, family members. Can you talk a bit about the importance of respect in our culture? Yeah, our culture has so much respect. We're a very strict culture with respect, um, especially with women. It's like um, initiation when it comes to a boy to becoming a man. So this is with all our tribes. The men will come up and ask the women if the boy's ready. The main thing they say is, um, they ask, is he um, learnt respect for women? A boy is in our culture is not allowed to become a man until he learns respect for women. Because women, women are equal to men, if not above men, traditionally. This is 100, 200 years ago. But, um, so respect starts there with the young boy learning respect for women. But when the boys are out in the country, um, you know, 13 and younger, they're off with the girls and the women all day long. So they learn respect that way. They learn respect to what the women do, because women supply 84% of our foods. And they learn about respect for the bush and the plants and all that through the women. And then when they come to initiation, once they've learned all that respect, then they're allowed to become men. 
and then you go on to the men's journey and you learn all that in different respect. Mm-hmm. Isn't, so you, yeah, isn't that funny that you say respect for women is one of the biggest things in our yeah. culture? Because it is. And it's funny to think that a lot of people who wouldn't know our culture or yeah. who wouldn't know that would think the opposite oh, because of yeah. the stereotypes that are out there for yeah. about Aboriginal people. When when I sit down with my nana yeah. and my family, women are the biggest part. I yeah. come from a I'm I'm privileged enough to come from a strong line of beautiful Aboriginal women yeah. who are uh, widely respected in the community. Yeah. What advice can you give to young people? Our young Aboriginal people these days about respect. Advice. Uh, probably at primary school, I started learning about really respect. I remember the principal telling all those boys um, from now on, if you see a woman come to a door, you got to open it. So we, I remember start learning that at school. But respect respect starts at home. You respect yourself, respect your family, right. your brothers and sisters. You know, we all have blues and stuff, but you still got to respect them. And your mum and dad, you got to highly respect for them because what they do for you, you know, supply food, give you everything you need in life and guide you till you get older. So... It's all respect. It's respect for all your family, your community. When you're out in the community, you respect your community, especially your elders. Elders um, are given. You have to respect your elders because they're, they're, you know, the knowledge and the way they are. Like, you know, women, if you disrespect a woman in our culture, you know, no nullas. Mm. You know, woody, wooden buddies, where we call them, different cultures. But um, women used a lot of nullas on men. Mm. They all had nullas. I remember as a kid, we were always threatened. If you play up, the auntie's going to get with a nullas. You know, woody. So yeah, sometimes it got drummed into you. Yeah. <laughs> if you got hit Literally. with a nullah, you deserved it. <laughs> yeah. But um, respect, it starts with everything. Respect for yourself, respect for family, community, and respect for the bush and everything around us. Because like I said, we're not above nature. So when you're out, out in the bush, you see a snake, don't kill it. You know, you see it on the road, stop and let it pass. I know, it's just respect for everything. Mm. See a snake, don't kill it. Oh. Yeah, That'd be a hard no, one. Growing, growing yeah. up in the Northern Territory, I see a king brown. I'm running the other way. Yeah, no, I can I'll, say I'll, that yeah, right now. <laughs> you talk about uh, knowledge is power. So, what point in your life did you kind of come to grips with this phrase? Knowledge is power. Well, it wasn't that long ago because um, I've grown up my whole life sort of learning and studying culture, or not studying it so much, but you know trying as much knowledge as I can, I never, ever thought I'd be teaching culture. Never, th- I, ne- I never did this to get out there and teach people. I just want to teach my family and save them as much as I can. And then um, it was only a few years ago that I started doing little jobs, you know, little jobs here and there. And at the end of it, you, you get certain, and the feedback you get from people, it makes you feel good. And you're like, wow, I'm actually doing something here. And so when I go out in the bush and I talk about, um, about, about nature, I talk about our indigenous plants for one thing, is um, how we should be growing our plants, been here for millions of years. And they bring all these European plants into Australia. They're putting them in our soils that don't belong in our soils. You've got to fertilise them. You've got to irrigate them. You've got to pesticides, all this sort of stuff. With our plants, we don't need fertiliser. We don't need pesticides. They can, most of our plants can survive on one good watering a year. It's, it's all, wow. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, 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 it's respect for the land and getting to know the land and um, what grows here and what, what should be here. And our plants are some of the healthiest plants on earth. It's amazing what we have. We're only just finding about what they contain. How do we educate the wider population about our culture? How do we kind of teach respect and get the wider population to acknowledge that this is our country? Workshops. We do a lot of workshops and stuff. Like um, we do a lot of big dances. We do a lot of big workshops. We try to invite everybody in because um, a lot of people, like I said, they think they look at it from the outside and they look in on us. As and they, they painted us with this brush. This brush has been painted, and you know, unfortunately, some people look at us as that, that the way we've been painted in the past. But we invite them in, get them painted up, dance with us, come and do a workshop, and by the end of it, 
Oh, so many elders, old people, can old white people come to me and they're like, oh my God, I never knew this. I never mm. knew this. I never knew. We'll taught this. We'll taught that. You know, rah, rah, rah. And they're like, oh my God. And these people go off learning and buying books and start studying. And so it empowers them too and then it brings them on our side. So, but through dance, through music and just becoming a part of our workshops. If you've got a local organisation, like um, over at Hastings or Bunjil, uh, actually in Frankston, they have um, Nam Banjana. I can never say that right. Yeah, it's a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard one. Yeah. I know. Yeah, but, um, the pronunciation. Um, <laughs> everyone's allowed to go up there, all community. Or it's run by an Indigenous community, but white people are involved. Same as um, over in Hastings, Willa Moraine. White people get, we invite white people in because, you know, there are brothers and sisters too from another country. Yep. And we want them, if you're living here on this earth, my biggest thing is if you live here on this earth and respect it, and respect the children of it and um, become a part of us. Get painted up and dance with us, you know. Start doing stuff with us. Yeah, we... Yeah. I don't know why, but people seem to think we're not welcoming. Yeah. Aboriginal, <laughs> you know, everyone's yeah. family, brothers, sisters, yeah. aunties, cousins, it's come join the party pretty yeah, much, you know. Well, and traditionally, we're yeah. the most welcoming culture that probably there is because it was against our law to not welcome people in our culture. That's why we welcomed everybody that came. Yeah. And some people stayed too long, but, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. against our law. Some not people are still people. here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we are. It's against our, our culture to not welcome people. Yeah, in. definitely. Definitely. Um, healing. Healing. So, healing. So, on my walks that I do, um, I do a lot of bush walks with tours with um, all the different ages from the bush kinder kids to all the way up to, like I said, 90 year olds. So, I take you through the bush. I show you the bush through my eyes. I, show you, I open them up and show you that everything has a purpose and a meaning from the insects to the plants to the medicines, all that sort of stuff. And then, all my walks, I'll sit you down. And the most important thing I can teach people is to listen. And um, I sit you down, we do a meditation. So, with the meditation, um, Bush Rangers Bay, some of these might have been in Bush Rangers Bay. I'll get down yep. to Bush Rangers Bay. Um, we, we go to a, um, a special spot down there, but it's a big midden. A midden is a place where, um, say, in the morning when Aboriginal people wake up, the big family group, we all wake up and have breakfast from the night before, what's left over. We have big, big, big breakfast from the dinner, what's left over from the night before. We get up, the women go off for the young boys, the men go off hunting. We eat our lunch during the day as we're fossicking, and then we all meet at the end of the day, and we sit down, we do a big cook-up. We do tool making, all that food, all the shells, the bones falls on the ground, our stone tools fall on the ground, all the bits and pieces fall on the ground. After thousands and thousands of years, it builds up to a big pile, like a mound, that's called a midden. And um, I like to do meditations on middens. Um, because the residue that's left there, you think about the grandfather, the son, and the grandson, the grandmother, the mother, and the, um, the granddaughter, all in that spot for tens of thousands of years, in that one little spot, same family, talking, talking culture, laughing, eating, crying, happy times, sad times, it's all been impounded in that one little spot, so it's really powerful with residue from family life. So that's why I like to do meditations there, mm -hmm. and um, so I get everybody to sit down, get grounded, touch the earth, go get your mother under you, and then I get everybody to have a look around at Bush Rangers Bay, say, right, this is my Chadston. If you look around, I've got everything here I could possibly need. I could actually live here forever. I could bang go there right now and live there forever because I've got all my stone tools down there. I've got all my, my woods. I've got all my um, aquatics. I've got all my seas. I've got everything there I need. I've got spring water, everything. And then I will look around and I said, right, we're going to sit down now and do a meditation. I'll talk about connection. Um, so grandfather, son, we call the son grandfather. He, um, the sun, the warmth of the sun is like a big hug. It's a big, you know, it's positive energy. So I get everybody to connect to the sun, feel that beautiful warmth, that big hug from the sun from our grandfather. You're touching Mother Earth, sitting on Mother Earth, all that beautiful geology beneath us. It's all powerful, positive energy. And in between, all the fauna, the flora, the wind, the sea, it's all positive energy. If it wasn't positive, it wouldn't look that way or smell that way. It would feel really dark. So I get everybody to exhort, take a deep breath in, absorb all this beautiful po positive energy from every part of your body, throughout through your pores, absorb that energy. Then um, you hold it. Now, with our stomachs, we abuse our stomachs really bad. Um, with stress, big stress, you deal with it because you have to. It's in your face. Little stress, we don't. We sort of push it to the side. It could be road rage. It could be 
Um, the wife, it could be the husband, it could be the kids, it could be something on telly, all those little things that upset us. We think we put them away, but we don't. We actually store that little stress in our stomach. After months, our stomach gets full. When your stomach gets full of stress, you, um, you get tired, you get very sick, or you get very grumpy. You've been in a bad mood for no reason. You wake up someday and you're in a bad mood. All you can't time. figure why. That's why, because we're, we're, we're letting our stomachs fill up with all this negative energy. It's not always stress. It can be pain, depression. It can be a lot of stuff. So your stomach gets full. It's not good. You've got to learn to release that energy, that negative energy. So deep breath in. It's called a baby's breath. We actually breathe it out and push the air out from our stomach. We push all the negatives out from our stomach. So we take the deep breath in. We hold it. All that positive energy comes from every pore in my body. And then I exhale the negatives, hits the air and it disperses. So that's how we deal with... Um, We've been doing that for a long, long time. So I tell people at least once a week, go for a walk, go sit at the beach, go sit at the park, go in the bush, you've got a national park, go for a walk. Don't take your phone. Don't take a book to read. Sit there half the time with your eyes open and look at everything. Look which way the clouds are coming from. See if you can tell the direction north, south, east or west. Everybody should know they're north, south and east and west. Um, look at the trees. Look at the bark on the trees. Look at the grass. Look at the ants carrying stuff. Look at everything around you. Just observe and don't speak, just look. And then listen, the other half of time, close your eyes. Because when your eyes are closed, your senses are heightened. You can smell better and you can hear better with your eyes closed. So when your eyes are closed, you can, you'll hear sounds that you didn't hear before with your eyes open. You'll smell smells that you didn't smell before with your eyes open. Because sometimes your eyes open, you'll be a bit busy. So um, I tell people to do that. So you've got to do it at least once an hour a week. If not, I like to do it two hours a week or more. And you do that, it's amazing what you release. You release so much of this negative energy and you're absorbing in all this energy. You know, like I say, culture's power. Like, you know, the bush is positive, all that positive energy. So we, we harness all that, um, all that beautiful energy and we exhale the negatives that disperse into the air. I also do traditional healing. Um, depending on the size of my groups, um, I give demonstration healings on my walks. If I have 40 people, I might pick one or two. But um, if I've got 10, everybody gets a little sample of the healing. Um, so what I do is give them a few seconds, but a traditional healing for me is um, an hour. So you book me for an hour. I never, ever charge anybody who's sick. If you've got a, a serious problem, I work with a lot of sick people from cancer to you, you name it. I've worked with it. Um, I never charge those people. But if you want to come along for Amazing Buzz the last three days, I'll give you a healing. So what I do is uh, I have a quick talk to you about stress, anxiety, how we get release and um, we absorb the energies. And then um, I sit you down, we do a 15-minute meditation to get you connected to all the energies around us. And then I'll lay you down. And my Yadaki is, this, my particular one's key to F, so it's for your heart chakra. But this one will clear all your energy points. It's amazing what it does. So I'll play this all around your body, um, starting on your head. Actually, I'll lay you down first. So I'll start on your head. I do your hands and your feet. First contact the stress. And then I'll stand, I'll sit you up. And then I do all from your back of your head all the way down to the base of your spine. I do all your energy points, stopping and starting. I make three particular sounds. It's not dance music, so you won't dance to it. They're really powerful sounds, vibrational sounds. And then um, after I do that, then I'll, I'll sit you up, I'll stand you up, and then I'll do your chest and your stomach area. And that generally takes an hour. And the, the feedback I've had from that's been crazy. I've had two doctors now trying to get their clients, referring their clients to me because of the response I'm getting from, um, especially from blood pressure, anxiety, um, arthritis. Um, like I said, I've worked with two cancer patients so far and um, things have been amazing. Really, really, the feedback I've got and the, res the results I've got have been really crazy. So with the didgeridoo, like I said, my one's key to Neff. They've actually, the scientists have actually done studies. I think it was about two or three years ago. They actually did the studies on the sound of the Yadaki and they found that just listening to it alone, is, it's been proven that it lowers your blood pressure, anxiety and stress. That's been proven in a lab by scientists. But we've always known that. Mm -hmm. yeah. We've always known a lot of things. Yes, we have. Yeah, we have, the haven't stuff we? we're doing today and inventing today, we've been using for a long time. You know, Baby food. We've been making baby food forever. Exactly the same as today. We invented the Band-Aid. We invented super glue to glue our wounds up. You know, The Europeans have only been doing it since the Second World War. 
Yeah, it's time mm. to start listening to the Aboriginal mob yes. about how to take care about how to take care of our country and our land. Yep. We're sharing it with you now, but it's time yep. to have an open and honest conversation yep. with the people, the First Nations people, about how to properly take care of our country. Definitely. It was like it was like all the farming, you know, all, all our farming stuff. You know, They're planting all these wrong plants and they destroyed the land so bad. And I hear farmers go, oh, I've been here six generations. Well, gee, you haven't learnt nothing, have you? And your father before you learnt nothing before you, otherwise you wouldn't have this land. They cut down the trees. One of the worst things in the world you can do, trees inland form a siphoning effect they actually siphon the rain from the coast inland you take those trees away that's why we're not getting all this rain inland at the moment because they take cutting all the trees down just just knowing the land and what's you know we need all this you know, it's all there for a purpose we manipulated the land thousands of years ago but we benefited from it the land benefited from it and the animals benefited and the plants benefited from it now we didn't have to put fences up around our mernon crops over here in the west because the kangaroos are coming to dig them up we put crop over there which they go eat and they left our crops alone mm-hmm. don't put fences up I almost feel like I'm struggling to keep up with just the amount of inf- the yeah. amount of great information that you're putting out. Yeah. Do you find do you find it difficult to almost channel this passion and education that you've got into the right spaces? Because you can see you can see you you not not fired up, but you're yeah. passionate about this. I'm definitely a lot of people say I'm passionate. <laughs> they say it all the time. I don't know. Yeah, but I'm definitely passionate about it. But um, What's yeah, what you live and breathe. Yeah, so that's what I live and breathe. It's just, um, I know, it's just the way I am. You know, I'm learning so much stuff and you know, we're amazing people and what we did, and we want to share that with the rest of the world because if we want to be around for a long time, we have to learn our ways. Mm-hmm. You know, respect for number one for the bush. Mother Nature can live without us. We can't live without her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get sick. It's our know? responsibility we're all sick to now. learn. It it's is. our responsibility to yeah. carry on that culture. Yeah. And as young people, Chris is a Palawa man, I'm Arundel woman from Central Australia. It's our responsibility as the growing generation to go back and learn our language or yeah. to go back and further, you know, Chris talks about Palawa culture being a lot, a lot of it being lost. Mm-hmm. You know, it's our yeah. responsibility to dig in and find those elders that know yeah, these things exactly. because we're the ones who have to yeah. pass it on to our kids. Yep, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, yep. it's recording that, writing it down, you know, listening to an elder, writing things down, taking it. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly how I learned. But even with the, with the elders, I've expected so many different elders, you know, and um, some of them only remember little tiny bits. You know, I, I try to get with family or know a certain amount and might know something the number family doesn't know. So that's why when, when I meet up with groups or families, I, I want your knowledge, I want your knowledge, you know, and somebody might get a little bit wrong because they're sort of, you know, over the years you forget certain things. So when I learn something, I've got to back it up, you know, three or four times to make sure it's right because it's not always right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Knowledge, yeah. Knowledge is hard, but we've got to make sure we back it up, make sure we do it right. Mm-hmm. Can we speak about briefly, we, we, you touched on before growing up in commission flats in Collingwood. Yep. How, how, how did those experiences and, and, and living in that sort of environment for however long it was shape who you are today? And did, did, do you think that that ever comes out in the passion that you have in, in teaching culture and passing that on to you? You know, you've spoken about your son and yeah. how that's a priority that your son yeah. learns, um, you know? Probably, yeah. I had a pretty miserable life. And especially the Collingwood Commission Flats, I remember every day there sort of thing. But um, life was really bad back then. But um, what I got out of that is um, when I had kids, my kids were never going through what I went through. So with the education and stuff. Yeah, but back then we didn't... Uh, my mum was an alcoholic. You know, we practically lived on the streets sort of thing. And um, life wasn't good back then. So life was really, really hard. So there was no culture. It was just everybody in the family is an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I grew up around alcohol and abuse from coppers and things like that. So that's all I sort of remember back then. But what I take from there is... Um, that my kids will never go through that. Right. Yeah. Yep. 
And how, how did you how did you go about kind of? Uh, I know you mentioned a foster camp, foster family yeah. took you in, and you know, obviously, you've it's, it seems like you've kind of healed from a lot of that, and you, now yeah. you've given back and probably you know getting a lot of reward from from passing on this culture. But mm. unfortunately, that is a reality for you know yep, m- exactly. members in members in our community. Community they are going yep. through that. Like, how, what, what 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 would you what advice would you kind of give them in, in navigating that that space when you're at that when you're at that age and you know you're not sure, you're not too sure which which way you're going to go down. Or, so when you get older, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and also you were disconnected from yeah. culture, and that's uh, oh, that's you know, yeah. and that's been as you've gotten older, you know, become sort of a, you know cultural expert or however you put it. But being being disconnected at that such a young age and growing up in so you know a tumultuous environment like that, mm. navigating your way through out of that, and and now having such strong values around culture, education, and even being a father, um, you know, how, how did you kind of get there from from that age? Yeah, um, it was hard. Also, as a young, like I said, my grand uncle Stan probably pushed me a lot more into it because remember when we were kids, I'll use probably not remember this, but when we were kids back in the seventies and that, it was um, it was the worst thing in the world to be was an Aboriginal person. Yeah. That's what we were taught. So you know, we used to lie and say we're Islanders sometimes, so we wouldn't get teased. You know, that's how bad it was. So you know, growing up as an Aboriginal person was a nightmare as a kid. You know, my biggest wish as a kid was to wake up one morning and be white. You know, I'd run to the mirror, nah, still black. You know, I used to do it all the time. At Christmas morning, that'd be my wish for Christmas. That's all I wanted. I'm glad my kids don't have to go through that sort of stuff. Yeah. And just be proud of my, my son's quite pale, amazing blue eyes. My daughter's quite brown and brown eyes. Yeah, my, my son knows more knowledge than most men in Victoria. So it's amazing what he knows. Yeah. But um, just um, at the younger age, you, sort of, you get, go through and it's just, I don't know, it's just a, I always had a fascination with um, my culture, but I sort of kept it you know, quiet. I never talked to anybody about it. And it sort of that, that grew, and then with, with Uncle Stan and Uncle Archie came down a fair bit. He used to come and sing with us and talk about a lot of stuff, and um, that sort of pushed my, you know, sort of into the culture. Like, oh, you know, help people are pretty amazing. You know? I, I'd see something, I'm like, oh, I love, it. I want to learn about that. You know? And that sort of pushed me to learning and learning. And you know, like I said, I kept it all quiet. I never thought I'd be teaching people, but mm-hmm. as I got older, sort of just learning knowledge through that way. I suppose um, as a kid, grow up, it's, it's hard as a kid because you're always getting teased and. You know, was it peer, peer group pressure and all the people out there? Yeah. So, you know, I grew up in, down here in the Monica Peninsula. I me and my sisters were the only Aboriginals in the whole peninsula. There was a couple over at Hastings, but we were the only one. So that was really hard. You know, your foster mum coming and picking you up from school. Why is your mum white? You know, yeah. you're like, oh, don't you just my <laughs> carer? You know, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. You know, you know but I, I sort of, but I've always had the um, that I don't know if it was a spiritual connection or something. To yeah. I've always had a spiritual connection to the earth. Like I said. I could sit in the middle of the bush. I can walk up to a, the meanest dog in the world, you know, and pat it. I would do it all the time. You, know? you talk to your dog in your mind, they don't know, you know. I say to photographers, when you go out and take pictures of animals, talk to it before you know it. But it's just um, learning connection. And I've always had connection, but it was sort of, I went through the rough way and I was just lucky. I had that spark that kept me, you know, like that, that hunger. Mm-hmm. Like I'd find a little bit of information. I want more. I want to learn more. I want to learn more. And surrounding myself with better, good people. It's a real yeah. testament to you that you were able to go out and mm-hmm. kind of, and, and, and break that cycle, that family cycle. I swore and, and, my kids would never go through it. Yeah. 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 No, that says a lot, man. And my, my nephews and nieces too. Like, you know, I got two sisters down here. We got, we got a big family, all got split up, but I ended up with two sisters. And um, when we grew up, as um, growing up, I made sure every Sunday was family day. So there's no excuse. My sister and all their kids, all the kids had to be there. We all had big barbecues. We got together. Um, my sister's amazing singers. I play Yulaki. We go, um, we played cricket and sport and stuff. We did that every Sunday since the kids were babies. M- my kids and all their first cousins are like brothers and sisters. That's how close they are. They're super close and they know so much about culture. Because when we drive on, the kids grew up with me. I'm the biggest kid in the world. So the kids always hung out with me. You know, I'd often go to my, their joints and knock the dad on the head and say, right, the kids come with me. We're taking them for a drive. And um, 
at the bush and we drive along instead of playing I Spy my I Spy was what's that plant what's that plant what do we use it for and it was a contest between everybody so that's how my kids learnt and all my nephews and nieces learnt growing up yeah we talk about education and you talk about education obviously mm. you've kind of dedicated your life to educating yep. Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people you talk a lot about not wanting to be Aboriginal when you're a young person because yep. you were faced with a lot of racism yes. and Aboriginals were pretty much seen as the scum of the earth. Oh, definitely, yeah. To this day, I still face racism. Yep. You know, being on the peninsula, I, I live on the peninsula and being yep. one of the only Aboriginal people I know, yep. I hear a lot of racism, like, for example... All Aboriginal people in Northern Territory are petrol sniffers. Yeah. Things like that, exactly. or drunks. Yeah. And I often turn to those people and question them, why do you think that? Yeah. What meaning do you, what meaning is that behind that? Do yeah. you actually know what that means? Yeah. A lot of them don't. No, it's it's learned. It's learned it's learned yeah. behaviour. And it's yeah. they don't actually know the cycle behind it. And mm. I actually asked I told off someone that I knew for being racist yep. or saying something, saying Abbo when they didn't know yep. that Abbo was racist. And mm. a week later they came back to me and said, Tiles, I actually, I actually looked up what happened to you mob. And yeah. it was pretty horrible. Yeah. And I, and I said to him, that's what education does. Yes. You know, that's why we, that's why education is so important because a lot of these white mob, they no, don't know. Have no, no they have yeah. no, no idea. I definitely. I remember when, when my ex-wife said to me, I was 25 and she said, goes to me, Lionel, what's to do with education? That made me twice as angry because the Australians aren't educated. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've studied the Australian history. I've studied every culture of the world. I've read um, all about the religion all over the world. I know about the world history. How can they not even know about the history in their own backyard? I, I, walked, I was angry for like two weeks and then I realised it is education. Nobody knows nothing. You, know, you talk to the old people and young people, nobody knows nothing. They've just been taught what the government wanted them to know. So all the truth was always hidden. Whatever the media wants mm. to represent, really. Exactly. And that's why yep. it's hard because... I, weirdly enough, I was watching Nine News or ABC or whatever it was um, the other night and I was like, oh, this is a bit mainstream. Flicking through, put NITV on automatically. Yeah. I was like, this is Blackfella News. You know, why yeah. can't we have more of this yeah. on mainstream? I started, yeah. I was like, oh, that's my sister girl. Yeah, that's my yeah. auntie. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, um, there was mob making Barramundi out on country on NITV and I was yeah. like, wow, this is, favorite, <laughs> this is my favourite cooking show now. Those two old ladies? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're yeah. awesome. There's I love an old lady and then a young, a youngie, not too young, but like a bit. I think they're sisters, are they? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. 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 She's wearing a really pretty Yeah, the always, always done anyway, up old Yeah, and I was like, yum, I wish I had some of that. Anyway, it was kind of like, Crap! Why can't this? Why can't yeah. this part of being Aboriginal be shown on mainstream media? Exactly. Like, it's we are so on, yeah. yeah like, ABC or NITV. Yeah, 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 that's why white mob yeah. don't know. You know. Yeah. So it's, and when they do mention it, it's like oh, there's something else for cutting down trees. Yeah. That's how they talk. Trees are sacred. Trees mm. around for 800, 800 years. You know that, that tree is not just a tree; it's a living creature. It's a mother. It's mm. it's, a, it's a landmark. Ten thousand whatever's at the base of it. You know, it, it, it's amazing. You know, look, it's not just a tree. It's what I'm trying to open people's eyes up to. Trees are living creature. You know? We know that the science in trees and plants now. We've always known it, but they're only just finding out plants have feelings. Plants can move. Mm. This and that. They've, all this stuff. Plants have a heartbeat. Trees have a heartbeat. They, they have a heart, but they have a heartbeat. You know, all this stuff. And we've always known this. They're only just finding this out. Mm-hmm. So we're not just cutting down a tree. It's a yeah, it's, it's a living creature as well. It's it's um, helped our community for thousands of years or eight hundred years or however long they are old they are. Yeah. So they're definitely. really important. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important that we get mob to understand that. And I personally, my belief, this is not anyone else's, mm. but 
the way for the wider community to understand our connection to country is to go out on country yes. with people like you, Lionel, yeah. and sit there, observe the trees, talk yeah. talk about the trees. What's this telling you? What's that telling you? So I yeah. think it's really great what you're doing, and, oh, I, and I praise you for it. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, you know, teaching in classrooms, we can do it, but um, I don't like doing classrooms. I'm, I don't really like it because um, the kids go to sleep, so do I. But um, if I get you out <laughs> in the bush, it's a hundred times better. It's like... Uh, if I have the opportunity, all the schools will go to in, um, if it's a nice day, I say, right, can we, um, is there anywhere outside we can do this class? Mm. If I can do it outside, I'll always do it outside. I mean, I always go for a walk around the school. First thing I do when I walk into a school is I look at what floor they got. And I'll go straight to the principal if it's all wrong. I remember two schools over in Cranbourne. I walked into schools, so the negative energy, in fact, they look like detention centres. So I had to talk to the principal and um, both principals of school, where's your gardener? I want to talk to your gardener. And I, I asked one of the gardeners, um, <laughs> I said to him, why are you planting all these plants around your school? Oh, because of the, the, we don't want people getting stung by bees. Mind you, they had hebes, they had um, lavender, they had roses, they had all these European flowers that attracts the European bee that stings you, and it, which is a silly. I said, it, what you're missing out here in your school is not having our native plants, especially our, our, our eucalypts, our melaleucas and that, um, the oils they release into the air. It's medicine. So when they release these oils into the air, we inhale these oils, we absorb them into our bodies, they help with headaches, migraines, depression, anxiety, um, tiredness it helps a lot today they used the colds and flus we didn't because we didn't have colds and flus but um that's what the schools are missing out on now teachers go teachers have problems at home they could have problems with their husbands or their kids at home or something wrong financially kids are coming home from could be coming from a bad family or something and they go to school and they expect it to perform in these situations and they're not getting these benefits of these um plants around them they're planting our plants all over the world right now because of those oils because of what they release into the air new york city all these major cities around america um right throughout asia because of malaria these, they release oils into the air and um, they calm us down. We have the most fragrant bush on earth. Nowhere in the world comes close to what we have in Australia. The place that does come second and a long way back second is actually <laughs> the pine forest of Northern Europe where they wow. have like a, a couple of fragrances. Here we have thousands of fragrances. It doesn't even come close. We're actually amazed mm. at what we have here in Australia when it comes to plants. Yeah, and I just want to see more people to be educated or to kind of look to be educated about what's in our backyard yes, you know coronavirus exactly. is, yeah. is it's pretty lame right yes, what's yeah. happening is, is terrible it's, it's on a massive scale but what i take from it that's positive is we're yeah. not traveling overseas yeah. what's in our backyard yeah have a look you know like yeah. what's in the northern territory what's up byron bay where you're from you know yeah, your mom's definitely. from what's I down here this house now and there's probably there's heaps of stuff around here yeah because yeah. yeah. with our 5k rule i've you know 5k is yeah. not long but I've actually found so many walks in the Frankston yep. area that yep. I didn't know about. Yep. So many like reserves and this and that and you, you go there. You have to send them to me so I can find them. I will, I will. <laughs> You've been just... to the botanical gardens in Frankston? I have, I yeah. have. Yeah, I do the university over there. We take them over uni at Monash. Oh yeah, it's cool. Amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Some, some of the oldest tea tree growing there on the whole peninsula. Mm. I couldn't believe it. I walked in those gates and looked at tea trees sitting there hundreds of years old. So you don't need yeah. to go that far no. to see what's in your backyard because yeah. Australia is so mm. beautiful and, mm. and the people of Australia need to realise that and recognise that the First Nations people have so much knowledge yeah. to share. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We, we want to share it. You know, like, we, we walk out in the bush now and I say, everybody have a look around. It looks beautiful, doesn't it? I said, it's actually a tip at the moment. It's a junkyard. The mm. bush is a junk. I take the most beautiful bush, it's a junkyard. Everyone's like, oh, it's beautiful. It's, no, it was never like this. We burnt off, you know, traditional fire burning, and we burnt off. There was none of this crap on the ground. There was none of that. Was, everything was beautiful, super healthy and that. It was, there was none of these broken branches, all this broken bracken, um, all, all the sand through the grass trees. It was none of that, all that dead stuff around the base of it. That's not supposed to be there. You know, we burnt all that stuff off. The bush is actually a, a pig's diet at the moment. 
And you walk into the bush, oh, how beautiful is this? It's actually a peace dye. Mm-hmm. We manage the bush a lot better. You know, like I said, and not, not for us, for everybody. For the, the plants benefited, we benefited, and the animals benefited. Insects benefited, everything benefited. Do you want to talk about a little bit about living culture, what you guys do, yep. what you're about? Yes, yeah, so, um, living culture. So um, there's me, my niece Carla, and Heidi. We're the three um, founders of um, Living Culture. I'm a carpenter by trades. So I've been building houses forever. And um, I started doing this walks here and there and every, everywhere on the peninsula, around the peninsula. People started ringing me up and getting me in every, every now and then. So I said to Heidi and Carla, so let's, let's start up a business And because um, I'm getting pretty busy. Um, this former group, too. So, we, so we named it Living Culture because our culture is still living. It's not dead. It's living. It's always going to be living. And um, ever since then, um, the girls do most of the, um, the paperwork and all the booking stuff and that. I'm no good with money and that thing. So I just do <laughs> cultural side of it. My niece, Carla, actually does women's business. She's learned, been over to Warrnambool, learning from um, grand, um, aunties and that over there. Only Violet, she just passed away, poor old thing. But um, we've been learning a lot of culture from there. So she's been learning a lot of women's business, basketry and weaving, which is good because we need the women's business in living culture. We need another woman down the track. So we, with Carla, she does all that, all the fibres, um, talks about the plants. She does a lot, she's starting to learn a bush tuck. I'm teaching her now about bush tuckers and stuff because my sisters and my nieces are amazing cooks. So I'm teaching them all this bush tucker stuff and then just making these amazing recipes out of it. You'll see on Wednesday, we're doing a cook-up next Wednesday, I think it is. For those of you who don't know, um, Lionel's referring to our youth services group at VACA. We have started a collaboration with Living yep. Culture yep. where we have young people do a Zoom with Lionel and learn about everything Living Culture has to learn yeah. about pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So yeah, that's something really awesome that we're connecting our young people in to culture. Even even in these hard times, we find ways to engage. Exactly. I'm, I'm learning all this technology, but yeah, I'd definitely rather, like I said, classrooms, I'd rather have you out bushing on ground. But um, So I, I work with all the education department from um, the Boo Books, from the Bush Kinder groups. I work with a lot of kinder and, and creches, but my favourite are the Bush Kinders. I do, I've been at the Bush Kinder all the way up to the Dandenongs, up through there. They're trying to get me to go everywhere in Victoria with the bush kinder now, but um, I have to be. In, I'm governed in certain areas. I don't go, when I go off country, I've got, to have, I've got to have permission. If I'm on someone else's country, the first thing I do is I'll have permission before I even get there. Because I will not teach on someone else's country unless I have permission. So um, I do a lot of kinders. I love the kinders, bush kinders. Cause I, um, I do bush kinder. One of my common ones that I do is uh, summers. You know, summers over summers there in yep. Downing. Over there, they have a, a place called um, Cool Art. They have a, we have a, um, we have a summer site and um, a winter site there for the bush kinder kids. So I get there, we get all the kids together and all the, um, they're all rugged up and all their wet weather gear and stuff. We go out bush and we, um, we, we pick the plants, the kids learn about the plants, they eat the plants, the trees. We, we try, there's one particular plant that um, me and the kids have given a new name. Have you all heard of um, mistletoe? Mistletoe the plant? No. Now, well, down here we have three different varieties of mistletoe. It's a, it's a parasitic plant, leaves off other trees. So a mistletoe bird comes along, eats the fruit off that plant, and he um, does his droppings the next day in the tree. It's a really super sticky fruit. Um, he's got to wipe his bottom on the tree. It sticks to the tree, and that that seed will grow out of that tree. Doesn't take anything from the tree except for water. Doesn't hurt the tree, and it'll grow into a beautiful plant. It's three, three different varieties, and they produce these amazing fruits. Not all mistletoe you can eat. I know European mistletoe you can't eat. I don't know much about the American mistletoe, but it hells down here you can definitely eat. So. All parasitic fruit is really, really sticky. So when I break the mistletoe up and I feed it, give it to everybody, you break it open and it's really sticky. It's like glue. And then you've got to put it in your mouth and eat it. So before they do that, I tell them what me and the kids, me and the kinder kids, me and the kinder kids are nicknamed a booger fruit. Because it looks, <laughs> doesn't look very nice. It looks like a booger. But when you put it in your mouth, it's sweet as. It's really, really sweet. You just got to get over that sticky texture. So we, we do a lot of that sort of stuff with the bush kinder kids. There's a section um, when we walk through the um, cool art. It's a whole section of um, she oaks. The she oaks are very important trees, okay, very important trees to um, 
Indigenous people all over Australia. We use shiaks all over Australia, amazing tool trees, medicine trees. But we have dream time stories. On my grandmother's country, we have a dream time story about the shiok. It's actually a guardian spirit tree. So thousands and tens of thousands of years ago, when Bunjil and Wawa were on the earth, creating everything that we know, the land, the hills, making it habitable for humans and the animals to live here, they did all their work down here. Once they finished all their work, they, before they flew up into the dream time, they had to leave guardian spirits behind on earth to protect or look over the children of Bunjil, which is us. So what they left behind is the she-oak. And um, it says that when the wind blows through the she-oak, you can hear your ancestors whispering or the guardian spirits whispering through the trees. Me and the kids bow down there. On a certain day when there's a bit of wind, you stand there and you can hear voices throughout the trees. It's like it's little whispers. It's amazing when the wind goes through the trees. And it was only last year I found out, I'm on Boonarung country, that they have a dream time story about the tree as well. It's their favourite tree to sleep under. Because they say that when they sleep under the she-oak, they can actually hear their ancestors talking to them at night. So it's a very similar story to my grandma's country. So we do a lot of that sort of stuff with the kids. The kids sit down and I teach them traditional fire making. They don't do much of it. Obviously, they're not strong enough, but I get it going for them, teach them how to do it. They all have a go. How long does that take you? Um, my record's four minutes. Yeah. Lately, it's been 15 to 20 minutes. I'm getting yeah. old. I'm just doing 50, so I'm getting old. Old troops over here. <laughs> yeah, so I've got, I've got to teach all the young ones because I'm getting, like I said, I haven't done it since the start of the year. We actually did it a couple of months ago. I took me and my son and nephew went out bush and we um, t- took a heap of steaks and some food out there and we... Um, we were there for 20 minutes. I still couldn't get it going. I got super red hot. And I was like, oh, I just can't do this at the moment. I've got blister, even got a blister on my hand. <laughs> so I've, I've actually got to start doing it again because I'm, I'm out of practice. Yep. You're out of practice. The muscles in your shoulders and in your hands and your skin goes, up. yeah, you really got to do it. But um, So I, I teach the kids a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, they learn everything. They, and through there, we have all the aquatics you know, from, from all the kabunji to your water ribbons to all even sages, amazing plants, fibre plants and food plants. It's incredible what we have there. You'll find with a lot of our plants, most of our plants have more than one use. Like multiple uses, like um, the xanthoria has probably, just in the xanthoria alone, we can, the roots, um, the, the feeder roots are just like eating carrots, even nicer than a carrot. They're so tasty and yummy. The leaves contain vitamin C, the centre of them. Um, the trunk contains starch, which we can make our um, potato cakes. Um, the sap from that particular tree, we use to make our super glue. So we mix that with four different components, which is the um, calcium from the uh, uh, oyster shells. We use... Um, Kabunji tree root, which is a super fiber, one of our strongest fibers. We use um, charcoal and we mix it all together on a hot rock. It forms a chemical reaction and we turn it into a super glue. So it's a, that's what we use to glue up our arms and do our axes, our canoes, everything for. Um, and also the flower out of that tree, the big kangaroo tail, that flower is traditionally what we use for fire making down here, the wood. The, the flower itself, when it's in full flower, it's white. We collect that flower, we put it, soak it in water, and we make cordial from it. Or you can pick that flower straight off it and eat it straight away because it's just like putting honey in your mouth. It's so yummy. I've used that flower even in one of the gigs I did. I, I work with a lot of restaurants and um, big restaurants down here. They pay me to do all their fancy, teach all their chefs and stuff. I'm not into it. My niece loves it. But um, I remember that Pringer Estate, I was doing a five-course degustation meal there for the wine and food guide for the age. And um, at the start of it, he goes, we've got French champagne here. Is there anything you can do to French champagne um, to make indigenous? I said, yeah, of course there is. <laughs> I went and got a, one and got a Zantharia flower and all the glasses of champagne was a hand we picked a big handful of each and every single glass had the Zantharia flower. So all the nectar and all like the honey went into it. And actually it was like um it was like a reaction. It was it was incredible. Wow. Yeah, I've never drank mm. I, I can't afford French champagne, but it was incredible. It mm-hmm. was amazing. Everybody was just like, Wow, the natural sugars mixed with the champagne was really, really Where cool. do you get that flower from? Um Around here, all, well, down here, I collected all from out Main Ridge, Wonga, all that through up that area is up through there, through all the basalt and sandy soils up through there. Yeah, I'd, and all the southern rosebud as well. I'd love to. Uh, Might have to come, go for a yeah. little visit after the podcast. <laughs> yeah, all the flowers Friday, are coming out now. I've seen people. I saw a lady the other day. She goes, "Oh, I took this beautiful flower um, picture of the flower." I said, "You should have eaten it." 
<laughs> yeah, I was I was talking to my nana the other day about um, some native plants down here, and then my nana best was just saying, you know, be careful, you might poison yourself if you don't oh, know what you're. Yeah, definitely. You don't know what you're oh, touching. There's one plant down at Bush Rangers Bay. Um, we have two two species of this um, beautiful broad uh, we have the broadleaf sea celery and the fine leaf sea celery, which grows in the secondary dunes back. So it's a native herb. It's just like celery, but um, a lot stronger, full of vitamin C, really good for you. Have a, a vitamin A, B, and C. I think it's got in it. And um, those um, with the thin leaf variety, it grows along the track. Now I'll show everybody. I show the plant, and I point right next to the plant, or amongst it all, is a plant that looks almost exactly the same. That's poisonous. That's not. So you got to be careful wow. when you're picking it, mm-hmm. and it looks almost identical. Right. Yeah, and it's poisonous. So wow. you do got to be careful. Okay. We, we, we do have a lot of them. People say red berries are poisonous. A lot of our berries down here are red and they are amazing. Antioxidants, vitamin C, and they are, taste like lollies. They are so good for you. What's that What's that saying on movies where kind of like, um, you know, almost like in ancient Roman movies where people people say, uh, you know, you drop, drop me off in the wilderness and I'll come back with, come back three months later with a chinchilla coat and 10 kilos lighter. <laughs> sorry, sorry, 10 kilos heavier. Yeah. You know, that's almost kind of what you, you type, type of fellow you remind me of. Yeah. You, you could be dropped off probably anywhere in, mm. on this country and... Yeah. Let's say, let's say hypothetically, someone did do that, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll, firstly, I'd love to see. I want to go on those survival shows. I, I would love to see you almost like on a big, real style survivor yeah. show, right? Mm. Well, let's say hypothetically, you got dropped off in the middle of absolutely nowhere in Australia, mm. right? Yep. And you had to survive. What do you reckon would be the biggest challenges, and how, how do you reckon you'd, you'd go about that? Um, probably good because I try. To, I don't just like. I don't just study to learn about Victoria. I try to learn about all of Australia. You know, like, like, like around Australia and a different and a geology all around Australia. I reckon I'll do pretty good almost anywhere in Australia. Yeah, probably, I've looked at a lot of different places and stuff, and I know most of the grasses, I know most of the plants and trees, and you know, like a, lot of, a lot of families all connected, so you know, certain acacias grow here, certain acacias grow there in the desert, certain acacias grow in the mountaintops. You know? I know the, the barks from them, they're all the same, the tannins and whatever's in them. I know the, the, the seed. No, you can't eat all the acacia seeds, but some you can. I reckon I'll do really well. Um, certain I woods I, I know hardwoods and I know softwoods for traditional fire making I know a lot of stone I do a lot of stone tool technology so I know a lot about, a lot about geology and different rocks we can use and I do a lot of stone napping and grinding so um, I reckon I do almost any good inland or on the coast or in a river I reckon that would be an unreal NITV reality show or something oh, like there that there you go there's, yeah, there's another yeah. path where you can go my down. daughter actually um, my daughter's a super fit amazing runner and um, model and stuff but um she actually went, tried to get into the last season as a survivor. Oh, yeah. oh, they wow. didn't accept her, unfortunately. I taught her everything. She's like, Dad, I'm not going to tell nobody, but yeah. Yeah, they didn't <laughs> yeah. accept her because they know she'd been she She's like, Dad, come with me. So if I tell everybody and teach everybody, then they'll vote me off the next day. <laughs> Lionel, you got to do yeah, it. I'd, get I'd love promote. To. Yeah, I'd love Act to. Act like you don't know anything. Yeah, Just go in and boom. <laughs> like, what I thought, I was just, I'll go off in the bush and eat my tucker and get my fire going in there and I'll come back to the camp. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watch them on those shows and they ask, no, they don't even no idea. Yeah. Nah, Gammon. All they're looking Gammon. at is money. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta look for them black fellas. They can you live know. out there so comfortably. You know, I'm and like, they struggle. I would have a wicked hut. I'd have the chairs. I'd have this. I'd have that. Living the dream. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, Put it's, me in the bush. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's been awesome, Lionel, having you on today. Thank you so much for coming okay. on to Mob Talk with me and Chris to talk about everything interesting. And honestly, we could listen to you all day. It's been lovely having you on the potty and join next week. Thank you, everybody.